I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Ladies Night that I'm very excited about because... I have Sadie Sink from Stranger Things on the show. I have to say Stranger Things and Fear Street because I think you already know I'm obsessed with Fear Street. <laughs> right. I remember we talked about Fear Street, what was that, last summer, I guess, right? Honestly, it feels like it was just yesterday because I talk about Fear Street nonstop. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. But it's it's very special to have you on the show right now. You've been phenomenal in Stranger Things in general since day one. But oh my, season four, episode four. I'm not a believer in jinxing things. I'm a believer in manifesting things and also telling the truth. That, in my mind, is an Emmy nomination worthy performance. And I'm going to say it as many times as I have to. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. Thank you so much. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. All right. So the first thing we do on Ladies Night is we play dicey questions. Usually I have a dice tower behind me, but admittedly I pack my suitcase full of toys for my niece and not the dice (laughs) tower. So I have eight numbers here. You get to pick three of them and whatever you pick, that's the questions that we start with. So one through eight, what is your first number? I'm going to go with three. Three is always the right choice, and this will prove it. This one is called Running Up That Hill. I know you've been asked a million times for your song that fills the Running Up That Hill spot, but I'm going to switch it around here. I want your movie. Like if Vecna had you in the upside down and someone started playing a movie, what movie would get you out of there? Oh, that's good. Okay. I'm going to give you my honest answer. This is, just, this is my completely honest answer, and it is Devil Wears Prada. Because I think I could quote the entire thing, and it's a movie that holds a lot of sentimental value. (laughs) I absolutely love that answer, and I can understand it too. I can't turn that movie off when it's on. No, and no matter how many times I've seen it, if it's on TV, I will watch it. Okay, I'm all for this one. All right, number two for you now. Which one you got? Uh, Let's go with, let's go with six. Okay. Six is fun. Six is rap gifts. What is the most memorable rap gift you ever received? Oh, that's a good one. Um, 
for season two, Matt and Ross got all of the cast just like a a still from the season and like put it in a really nice frame. Um, I think they did the same for season three, but I really, I really loved that gift because we also like hadn't seen anything, like any footage or anything from the season. So seeing like a little a still of what it's gonna look like and having it framed, that was a really nice gift and very thoughtful. I'm a big fan of sentimental gifts over like, like things. So right. that's a winning gift right there. All right, you got one more number left. What is your last pick? Um, Two. Two. This is one of my absolute favorites of the bunch. It's high-low. Can you give me one audition high, but then also one audition low? And tell me what you learned from that low. Okay. Um, audition high would be the Stranger Things audition because it was the most fun I'd ever had in an audition room. Um, and I left kind of... I think I just had like a good feeling and honestly, I didn't really care what the outcome was. Like I, I just had like a really good time and was proud of myself. So that was like a good audition high. And it's always a high when like you get the role at the end also. So like it makes it the, like the best, the best outcome possible. So that was a big high. Low would be, oh God, I, I had a really awful one. Um, I was probably 14 or something. And I think... I had my phone in the room, like it was in my bag and it was in my room and I forgot to turn it on silent. And like, I had a group chat that was just blowing up constantly throughout this scene. And it was so distracting to everyone in the room and incredibly unprofessional. So what I learned from that moment was just to never bring your phone in the room at all. And before this, I never had, but I don't know why I had it for this one. Um, I definitely learned my lesson. I can spin that around for you. I still think it's better that you were interrupting your own audition than bringing it in the room when someone else was involved and interrupting their audition. That is true. Okay, we'll look at it that way then. I can always find a silver lining. <laughs> All right, jumping into the meat of it now. First, we always start at the very beginning. I know you were so, so young when you started acting. So back in the day, was it the kind of thing where your parents encouraged you to give it a shot just to have an activity and it stuck? Or is it something that even like really young you at that age just felt that connection to? It was definitely just like this weird connection that I had with acting and performing um, because I didn't, I, I was just kind of surrounded by football my whole life and and <laughs> that was all I really knew. And nobody that I knew in school or anything, like nobody was into musical theater or anything like that. And I think my brother Mitchell and I just had like a fascination with Broadway musicals. And we would spend hours on YouTube watching bootlegs of like Wicked and then watching Tony performances and stuff like that and putting on our own performances. And then my parents were like, yeah, you know what? Let's get out of the house. Let's, you know, let's go, go do it somewhere else. So we did and we just kept on doing it because we loved it so much. So yeah, it was like a, I don't know, something, something was in the air. I got, I caught the bug and it's been with me ever since. Two follow-ups to that. One, are you still into football? Um, I mean, it's definitely like my family still loves football. I personally... I will watch a game here and there, but I don't keep up. I don't. I, I, I gave up on that a while ago. Admittedly, it wasn't until fantasy football until I really got invested. And that's not, right. you know, real. I mean, I've been, I've been in fantasy football leagues, not by choice, just by family obligation. Um, but not my thing. 
Not okay. my thing. Totally understandable. All right. So going back to uh, the musical theater of it all, I know one of your very first professional gigs was the revival of Annie on Broadway. So was there a point where you thought maybe my career would be on the stage and not on screen? Yeah. I mean, it was always, that's always what I envisioned myself doing. I never, like film and TV acting was never something that I like, I hadn't tried that or I wasn't really interested in it. And it was only the stage and musical theater that I loved. And and the film and TV part of it came along, I think once I like turned 13 or something. And that's kind of when your like Broadway career just comes to like a temporary halt. Um, and they're like, okay, we'll see you when you're 18. So like during that time, I think I auditioned for a few um, TV shows or movies here and there. And um, then that's kind of when I like ventured into that side of, of acting. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to be, be on the stage and I, I still do, but like film and TV is, I, I definitely love it a lot. Oh, there's a whole lot of time to do everything. Right. Two-parter on making that transition there. First, what's something about acting for the camera that surprised you in terms of how creatively fulfilling it was? But then also, what's something about going from stage to screen that required a little bit of a learning curve or an adjustment? I mean, it, it's very different. I think when I, when I first, or the thing, the thing that shocked me the most when working on a on a film set or a TV set was that you can mess up and it's okay to mess up and it's okay to start a take and not be happy with it and not feel it and ask to go again and just start and and take it take it a few more times. Um, yeah, but like coming from a theater background, it's like no like you don't you don't mess up like you have to you have to do it right every single time so it was kind of um like very freeing to be able to not not feel like this like pressure just to like always have it perfect and like it can take work and it can take like a few takes and stuff um and I guess the biggest difference in terms of like acting too is we had to like it was like a big thing when we were younger when you would go in for like audition for film and tv and like you were a broadway kid like your agents or your manager or like your teacher and acting coach would be like okay like it's for the screen so you got to reel it in a bit like you can't be like the broadway kid like you got to be a little bit more subtle and nuanced and especially coming from a show like annie too which is like the ultimate like kids doing jazz hands and tap dancing and there's a dog and and so it um yeah they're d- definitely um different styles in terms of acting. Anyone who can balance the subtleties and the differences between the types of mediums always impressive. <laughs> All right. I'm going to kind of jump ahead here, but I want to make sure we squeeze in at least one Fear Street question before mm-hmm. I go anywhere near Stranger Things. So I'm surprised, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm, I'm surprised that I didn't realize this sooner. Is Fear Street 1978 the first time you were a lead in a feature? Yes, it was. I mean, you and you and Emily, of course. I don't know who actually was number one and number two on the call sheet, but that does that does make me wonder: Is there anything about what it means to be number one on the call sheet, in addition to just giving a lead character performance that you know took you by surprise and might reshape how you approach being number one in the future? That was probably also another thing that shocked me going from theater to film was that there's no call sheet. Like what there, I I didn't understand the numbers or anything or how that worked or whatever. And it really is just a number, I guess. And I haven't really had like, I'm still just kind of like start, like I'm still young and I 
Fear Street was probably the, the first, yeah, like leading-ish role that I had in a movie. Um, but I didn't really notice any differences other than going to work for more days and it taking up a little bit more of your time. Um, but yeah, definitely to like lead a film and to kind of lead a cast is a huge responsibility. And luckily I've like worked with great actors who have been that and like set a leading example for me if I am ever to be in that position in the future. The team you got to work with on those films is something else. I still can't get over it. Yeah. Here's a little bit of a broader question for you. I imagine you had so many wonderful experiences working as a child actor, but do you remember the first moment or specific project that I guess kind of made you feel like an adult in terms of your creative input being heard in a different way? Yeah, Um. I would say probably this movie that hasn't come out yet, it's it's called The Whale and Darren Aronofsky directed it, Brendan Fraser's in it. And, and that was kind of, um, it was a really small cast in a small set. And we had a whole like three weeks of rehearsal and he, Darren kind of wanted to treat it as if it um, were a play um, because The Whale originally was a play. And the way he staged it and the way we rehearsed it and he like, you know, it, the same as you would do in a theater company, he like taped the, the the walls of the of the set and everything so that we could rehearse kind of in like a mock space, I guess. Um, but yeah, that was probably the most, um, it was just like a really creatively like fulfilling project to work on and to have that rehearsal process, which we so often lose um, when you're working on a, on a TV series. It was like really, um, it was just really special and, and it was nice to, to have that and to collaborate and focus on like character work um, and really take the time to dive into the text so that when it comes to the um, shoot day, you feel really prepared and like you, you know your character really well. Does not surprise me to hear that he's the one who gave you that kind of experience. Totally, yeah. I love it. Um, another thing I have to ask you about before Stranger Things is like a certain someone called Taylor Swift, who a lot of people are apparently really into. But <laughs> seriously, the the short is is something else, and I am eager to know what is it like working with Taylor specifically as an actor's director because I was reading some quotes where she expressed some interest in making a feature. So, like based on your experience, what do you think she could bring to another ensemble? out there as a feature director I mean I, I would love to see that happen and I think that it absolutely should happen because she she's someone who's just so driven and has this when she think when she has an idea like she will execute it exactly how her mind envisioned it and she's a very um in, she's very instinctual and it, it was just really amazing to kind of watch her work and obviously like she's a writer as well she's or she's a poet I guess is, is a better way to put it um so to have that kind of mind directing a Pete like the short film was really special and something that um I don't think I'd ever experienced before because she's so, so visual and descriptive with her words and, and the treatment that she made for us and to see it how, how she kind of made it come to life was pretty incredible. And the way that she worked with actors too, because I think that was something that she was a little, un, was more unfamiliar with, but handled it as if she'd been doing it for the longest time. Had you ever tackled a one like that? The, the fight in the kitchen? Cause that's something else. 
Yeah, but I think I think the key to that really was that there was just there were no expectations at all. It was just, yeah, we're just going to roll the camera and just see what happens. This is what the conversation is about. This is where I'd like it to end and like see what happens. And I don't even know if I'm going to use this, but like go ahead and doing it and not really knowing when they were going to cut and just kind of not caring and like kind of living in that moment in that little scene um, was um, pretty amazing to see how that, how that played out. And I remember like in the moment I did it, like I didn't remember what I was saying or anything that I was doing really. And then watching it in the end, I was like, oh yeah, that's like a, that's like a full scene. Like, oh my God. And so it made sense why, why she kept it. You two are something else than that. I'm a big fan of Dylan's. He's always so lovely to talk to and he's oh, so incredibly best. talented. So knowing yes. that the two of you tackled that together, it does <laughs> not surprise me it turned out that way. Uh-huh. All right, Stranger Things time. I wanted to go mm-hmm. back to the beginning a little bit. Um, do you remember what it was like first stepping on that set? Because I imagine it can be kind of intimidating to jump onto a set when everyone's worked together for an entire season. So in those early days, who I guess did you look to the most to get a sense of, you know, how the set operated and how to carry yourself? Oh, I mean, I like thinking thinking back to my first day on the Stranger Things set. I was so, I felt very out of my element and I, I didn't feel intimidated leading up to that first day. But once I stepped on set, I was like, oh, wow, like it's go time. Like we're like, we're really doing this. Um, and I think seeing how like the boys like Finn and, and Caleb and, and Noah and um, Gaten, just how they handled themselves on set and how it was really fun and laid back. It kind of like reassured me like, okay, yeah, like, take a breath. It's not like, just relax into it. And, you know, it's it's all gonna work out. We don't have to work ourselves up too much. So just having their, like, really just playful, fearless energy um, was very, very reassuring for me. Here's a Max specific question for you. I know there's still more to come, but whether it was when you first started doing the role on set or anything that's happened since, is there any particular scene or thing she's gone through that kind of, I don't know, like defined or redefined the character for you where, where she came into focus with such clarity that from that point on, you kind of had the ultimate firm grasp on her and what she's capable of going forward? Oof. I mean, I think the first moment that comes to mind is the one where she has the, the bat with Billy in season two. And I remember reading it and I was like, oh, okay, Max. All right. I, I get you. Um, just because she really like, before she had this kind of this, you know, relationship with Billy that was really tumultuous and like, not, I don't know, not healthy. And you just kind of saw that like back and forth between them and him just kind of ganging up on her. And I remember reading it and kind of being like, okay, like, when is she going to snap? Like, when, when is she going to take control? And then, and I think, I guess it was like the final episode of season two, when she finally does, that felt kind of like a defining moment for her. Just in the sense that like, you know, she's not someone that's going to like be stepped on or like, you know, she reached her breaking point and, and she's going to act on it and, and finally like speak her mind. So that was kind of, that was like very empowering to read and to play out and uh, a, a nice moment for Max. And she's had a lot more of those, I think, since since the first one, which is good. 
She's had a lot of nice moments. She's had a lot of very difficult moments yes. too. Oh my God, I can't get, I still can't get over episode four this season. It's, re- I mean, there's nice moments in there too, though. So I shouldn't uh, file it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the grim stuff. Um, leading into season four, though. So we do get the necessary broad strokes in terms of what life has been like for Max between the end of season three and the start of season four. But is there any gap there that you have to fill in yourself where maybe it's something we don't see or hear in the actual show, but we can feel it informing your performance? Totally. I think um, I thought about that a lot before going into shooting just because I was a little confused or not confused but I just wanted to kind of like tap into it like explore it a little bit more um because you see at the end of season three it's like Billy has died and then there's a scene where she's like singing with Lucas and like making fun of Dustin and I think when I was when I read that I was like huh like is she just not affected by it by his death at all and then to see where we left off in season three and then to jump into season four where she's kind of in this deep state of isolation and, and, and depression, um, I was wondering, okay, how do we get to that point to here? And I think um, what I feel like happened is it was just a gradual kind of, um, I don't know, the, the she was coming to terms with everything that happened and it all like settled in. And also just the domino effect that his death had on her living situation and her family and what her life looked like. Um, combined with just the guilt kind of um, settling and the and the the grief as well. So yeah, I think I definitely like kind of tried to get that timeline together as well as like the breakup between her and Lucas. like how did that happen? How did that come about? And yeah, I mean, well, now I have to ask, have you put much thought into the specifics of that? I mean, I feel like yes, I feel like it's pretty straightforward. I think the two characters are just, in such different places, Lucas is actively just like moving on and trying to find the new him and, and wanting happiness and and something new and exciting and to be cool. And Max is not ready to do that. She doesn't want to do it. She's no interest in that whatsoever. And also, but I think the main thing is like Lucas is someone who just he cares so much for Max and for everyone but for Max specifically and he sees Max in a way that I don't think anyone else ever has seen her and that terrifies her so probably there was a point where he just couldn't he was trying to pry or something he could tell that something was wrong and she didn't want any part of it so he had no part of it I guess my heart <laughs> just like <laughs> smash my heart into a million pieces but at least i know where you guys end up at the end of episode four um what do you think made sean the right director for that particular episode because i mean like in particular the last 20 minutes is something else where not only do you have to be delivering at peak level but the way he captures it and i imagine the way he has to support you in such an emotional beat like that is of the utmost importance yeah i think sean is a very cinematic director and that's such a cinematic last 20 minutes of this episode so it really was like the perfect fit with an epic assist from Kate Bush um so yeah I think I think ever all the pieces just kind of like fit together um but at the time when we were filming it it was filmed over the span of like 
a few weeks and it was scattered too, just because of, I don't know, you know, the multiple storylines that are happening this year. So um, this one giant continuous scene that has to have these like high stakes and energy throughout the entire time is really divided up between multiple days. Um, so I think um, just kind of like keeping that energy and that stamina up and trying to remember, okay, wait, like, where am I again? Like what, what, what has just happened? Where, okay, got it. Um, it was like a lot to keep up with, but something that I think um, everyone worked really hard on to just kind of make it all make sense. And in the editing room, it kind of, it came together, but on the day it was like the running scene at the end, like that was not, it was not as long as it looked like it was. I think it was just like one, I don't know, like 25 yards maybe. And I just did it over and over and over again. And then I think they just like clipped it all together or something like that. So it was crazy to watch in the end how it all pieced piece together. Really is incredible. That is like, that is the definition of movie magic right there. Right. <laughs> what about the idea of tackling super emotional scenes that are mostly you alone, especially when you're part of such an ensemble heavy show? Does your prep process for moments that are just purely max change compared to, you know, when you're doing scenes with the rest of the group? Yeah, I think, I think definitely. Um, especially because m the max that she presents to the people around her is kind of different than, than who, like, like all of us, like, you know, her internal thoughts and personality really and true self are just much different than what she presents. I think she kind of wants to come across as like, closed off and, and tough and she has both of those things but I think at the heart of it she's just you know she's scared and she's you know dealing with just such a deep level of sadness um so to have like the moments where you know she's reading the letter to Billy like that just felt like such a release to film um because you know like I you know you just feel Max's emotion is just kind of like building up and you're like okay when's it when's it just gonna spill over and you get to see more of it in volume two as well just even more of her letting um letting herself open up a bit more i am eager to see some of that as well at the specifically for the very end of uh episode four what what do you think is the quality of max at that point that maybe changed and redefined the character the most in terms of how you play her in episode five and beyond um yeah i guess the end of four is, is so, um, it, it's really metaphorical. Like if you really just like look into it, because this is a character who is in, uh, you know, so much pain and she, like to the point where she's nearly, um, you know, like she's given up and like Vecna kind of expresses that to her. And now she's like literally facing her own demons, like Billy just right there. And, and, um, kind of vocalizing to her all of her innermost thoughts that she's tried to hide for so long. And so for her to kind of look death right in the eye after Vecna has put her in such a vulnerable position um, and for her to still kind of see her friends showing up for her and fighting for her and telling her to fight and, and choosing to fight and choosing to literally run towards like the light at the end of the tunnel, like it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's a really beautiful and simultaneously epic moment. So I think, um, I think after that happens to Max, there's just like this newfound sense of, um, uh, like resilience and, and bravery and 
yeah, I think so. It's she's kind of, um, you know, she's still in danger, of course, but she chose to fight, which was a really like beautiful thing to see play out. I'll end with this one. It's a very specific question about a line that I might have overthought at this point. But at the very end of episode four, you have this major set piece and this major experience for Max. And then she comes out of it and she says, I'm still here. What is it like figuring out the exact way to deliver the line? I'm still here. So it reflects what she's capable of in the future, but also what she had just gone through. That is that is such a good question, because I remember thinking about this a lot on the day. Because, you know, you can play it as, like, shock. Like, oh, my God, I made it. I'm still here. You can play it as, like, yeah, like, I'm like I like I'm, I'm still here and, like, kind of this, like, determination, I guess. Um, I, so I think what the cut that they chose was just kind of, like, a mix of everything. Like, her just kind of realizing, one, everything that happened to her. And, two, like, oh, my God, like, she did it. And, three, it's, like, she chose that for herself and she, she chose to kind of persevere. So... Yeah, it's a it's a mix of everything, but really good question. Wow. I'm glad you like that. I'll <laughs> I'll end on a high note then. Also, you're very lucky. I feel like whenever Dewey sits through an entire interview, it's because he really likes someone. How well, did I not know <laughs> that a cat was there the entire time? I feel like it might have looked weird. I was like stroking the air. Oh, it, like I didn't I didn't really think anything of it, but yeah, that that makes a lot of sense now. Wow. <laughs> I have to let you go. Thank you so much for your time today. And again, big congratulations on everything you accomplished on all of Stranger Things season four. But please be very proud of what you did in episode four, because hands down, one of my favorite episodes of the show and probably one of my favorite episodes of television of all time. Well, thank you. I mean it a lot. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.